Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. If you would like It's Not About Food podcasts a week earlier and ad-free, please support me on patreon.com forward slash It's Not About Food. For more information about my books, my work, and my body love cards, you can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we're going to be talking about purpose. We all have a purpose in this life. That was a big revelation to me because I thought my purpose was about being a size minus zero (laughs) or eating perfectly or being a perfect person somehow or never making a mistake. I had a pretty high level for my purpose, but it wasn't didn't have anything to do with what I was really here to create or to be the kind of person I really needed to be. The card shows the goddess walking along sort of a golden path and there's a sun and a moon and there's grass and flowers with her on the path. And then she has her beautiful little power deer laying her head on her hip. And it's just a very, I don't know, I think it's, for me, it's a very moving card. It does feel like we have a path. And as long as we can let ourselves walk on that path, we're so much happier, purpose in a path. So the back of the card reads, following our purpose leads us to the path that feeds our soul. We all possess unique gifts and we all have the need to express these gifts. To find our calling is to find the path of our hearts, the way of life that makes us feel alive and glad to be here. Over time, we may find many different paths, small and large. We find our calling by listening to our inner voice and doing what feels right and true to ourselves. So again, you know, the culture I grew up in and the culture that a lot of people grow up in doesn't really support what we're really here to do or the path that we're on. It does support us to fight the tsunami of aging in our face. It does support, you know, a diet culture, a perfect body, whatever that is, and that's subject to change as well. And it does support being very wealthy. In my family, it was more important to look good then to be a good person was not as important. To be a smart person was not as important. To be a helpful person wasn't as important. It was more important to look a certain way. So that's what I learned. And that's what I thought 
my purpose was. What happened, of course, for a lot of us, that turned into disordered eating and body hatred and a lot of just chasing that dream of being a perfect size, whatever that was for me. And it changed through the years as I got older, of course. So when I did find that this issue is so much bigger than just being in a body that my society or my culture thought was okay, it opened up a whole new world. And I was able to follow my heart and my soul and my body to a different place. If you had told me when I was just really struggling with this so badly, I feel like most of my teenage years in my 20s were just one big ball of pain and struggle and unhappiness. And I could mark my okayness with what I weighed. If I weighed okay this one year or this one six months, I was more okay. But the rest of the time, not okay, not okay, not okay. No matter what I did, not okay. So when I stepped onto this path and really realized it was a path, if you had told me, well, you know, you're going to write books and you're going to lecture all over the country and you're going to run a nonprofit for years and years, working with women and men and teens with eating disorders. You're going to start a school program. And then when you're a senior, you're going to start a podcast. (laughs) And you're going to still write and interview people and be open to healing on any level. It would have been like, yeah, you've got the wrong gal. I'm not that person, I'm not that smart, I'm not that good, I'm not that whatever it was that I thought. So it was just really one foot in front of another. And I can remember when I first went into AA in 78, I had a a sponsor who said, just stay on the path, just stay on the path. And I said, I don't even know what that means. I'll stay on a path, but I need it to be lit up pretty bright for me to... (laughs) to be on it because I I didn't, I couldn't figure it out myself. But anyway, so here is somebody else in the world who walks it like she talks it and wrote a beautiful piece that I put in a newsletter a couple weeks ago, and we'll put it again in the newsletter that she's going to be featured this podcast in. And I just so appreciate her coming on today and talking about purpose and what she does in the world and how she stays true to her purpose and what is that purpose? How does she do that? A lot of my clients don't really know how to find that. So we will get some wise words from her and I'm going to introduce her now and she can talk about what's her name and what she's doing and where she is. Thank you. And hi, I'm delighted to be here. I'm Jessica Setnick. And I loved hearing about what you said about your purpose and finding your way. I grew up differently than you. I did grow up being told it was important to be good and kind and smart, but it was very focused on achievement. And that was a challenge for me. I never learned that it was okay to just be calm, rest, exist, find your inner compass. It was all about what you should do for purposes of the outside world. And so now as an adult, I have a lot of struggles with 
following my inner guidance and feeling like that's okay and that I've done enough. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? And my biggest challenge was when I was laid off from a job. I remember I was gardening outside in the front yard in the morning thinking, all these cars are driving by, all these people going on their way to work thinking, wow, what is that crazy lady doing in her front yard? (laughs) And I realized nobody is looking at me. Nobody cares what I'm doing. Those are my projections. You know, why am I thinking that I should be doing something else just because it's the morning? Why should I be somewhere else? And that's been my biggest challenge is being where I am and being on the path that I'm on. And it's not always a path that I expected or a path that I feel like I'm choosing. But the good news is I do feel that my path just following one step in front of the other has led me to a place where I am fulfilling my purpose. And so I'm really appreciative of that. I feel really grateful that I found my purpose as a dietitian in my first job, my first career, and that really my purpose wasn't to be a dietitian, but it was to expand the role of the dietitian beyond what maybe I was trained to do. And I had a bachelor's degree in anthropology, and that has really helped me find my path also because it's helped me bring that into being a dietitian eating disorder dietitian. And now I actually don't work as a dietitian anymore. I no longer have a patient care practice. I just teach other dietitians. And it's very interesting how much of what I'm teaching people is to not necessarily follow any path that was created. In a lot of ways, we're trailblazers because none of what we do is what was expected of us as dietitians. So when you said that you were also an anthropologist and that actually helps you with your work now, and how does that blend together? How do you blend those two together? Sure. So anthropology to me was so interesting because there were so many aspects of it, right? There's the archaeological side, which talks about what are the remains, the remnants of humans. There's the cultural side, which talks about human behavior. And then there's the physical anthropology, which talks about human development and how our bodies develop to support us. And what we know for a fact is that the people who survived are the people we got our genes from, right? So our genes are based on survival instincts. So humans don't do things that are not productive. And that's where bringing that into eating disorders, the idea that eating disorders somehow are productive that we wouldn't keep doing behaviors unless they were somehow helpful. And that was, I think, something that was new in the sense that all of eating disorder treatment was about eradicating behaviors. When I started 25 years ago, it wasn't about figuring out what it is that this behavior is doing for you and finding a better or more productive way of doing it. So is this behavior changing your brain chemistry? Is this behavior making you feel safe? Is this behavior making you feel love? What is the behavior doing? And can you fill that need in another way? Instead of just looking at it as this bad behavior. Another thing is the idea that we are all culturally influenced in ways that we don't even realize because we are swimming in the soup, right? So we don't even know the things that we have been indoctrinated in. And so I would think of it as an anthropologist's point of view. This is going to be a very sort of outdated image, but the anthropologist crouching behind a bush with binoculars just watching a culture and seeing it as opposed to trying to 
maybe make our own interpretations, but trying to understand what is going on for those individuals. That's where I feel like as a dietitian, we come in, not necessarily with binoculars crouching behind a bush, but rather than the colonizer trying to put our way of doing things onto others, we instead are trying to listen and hear and observe and even help someone observe their own behaviors and listen to their own needs so that we can find out what is a culture of the eating disorder, again, to try to understand it as opposed to try to eradicate it or try to turn it into a copycat version of ourselves. Yes. And then if you bring that to the individual level, it's like getting that non-judgmental observer for ourselves rather than the hateful, judgmental observer of everything we do is wrong. And I love what you're saying. Now, I thought that I knew what you were talking about when I often have felt like if I could do my life again and my college and everything, maybe I would be an anthropologist because I can kind of wrap my head around ancient cultures, whereas this culture, it's very hard for me to understand. You know, probably because I don't have the history of looking at it from afar and looking back on it and go, oh, that's why they did that thing. But I often wonder, one of the things I tell my clients, if you want to know what you're supposed to look like, look at your ancestors, look at where we came from and look through the whole ages all the way back to the first images of women and men. They're all different sizes. And so that's what we look like. And why is one wrong and one is bad? And then I've had clients that said, were the people who were really big, did they die sooner than the ones that were small? Like, we know that to be true now. And I'm like, we don't know that to be true. That's not true. And I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's okay to be whatever size you are. Life expectancy, I don't know if it had a lot to do with size, but I know that conforming has always been important to survival. And so people pleasing is really a survival skill, right? Because from the earliest communities, being part of the community was important to staying alive, being ostracized, sent outside the city gates, et cetera, or being left behind. That meant probably death. And so fitting in was definitely considered important and bringing some kind of skill to the table so that you were of value to the group. And so that's why we have that need as children. We learn if I play patty cake with these bigger people when they want me to, then they also feed me when I need it and change my diaper. And people pleasing is a survival skill. Conformity is a survival skill. And then everything we learn in the school process is about conforming and getting the right answer, et cetera. It's not really about creativity or finding your own path, or the things that actually make you, let's say, successful, I'm using finger quotes in my mind, successful in life. It's really about meeting the expectations of others. And that is just a fact. So you can belong. Yes. So you may imagine that you would have liked an ancient culture better, but I suspect you wouldn't have because you are probably someone who was born to stand out in an ancient culture that wouldn't have necessarily been a good thing either. Depending on the culture, you know, you may have been worshipped as someone unique, but there's also a chance that you might have been ostracized as someone who didn't fit the expectations. If you would like to have a weekly newsletter that has some information about recovery 
or what people are doing in the world or what I'm doing in the world and just information about how to recover and what to do and how do we have faith and trust and love and openness to our own selves. You can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Storygram Network. I joined Beyond Hunger about three years ago after my own eating disorder recovery. I've been with the Peer Ed program for over a year. I have been a peer educator for a few weeks now. Beyond Hunger is an amazing organization in which high schoolers like me get to go to schools across the Bay Area and educate teens and students on mental health, body image, intuitive eating. I joined because it really helps people. I joined the program because I believe that the information we provide people my age is very important. Beyond Hunger has allowed me to connect with the youth in my community and reaffirm to myself what I know is true. It has given me an opportunity to educate others and inform others around my age. Um, And I just think it's a really wonderful program. Because I want to teach other teens what I never learned appreciating your body through its ups and downs, navigating diet culture, and learning about intuitive emotions and hunger. And I felt that it was super important to continue to make change in the community. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I am one of the founders of Beyond Hunger. My business partner, Carol Normandy, and I founded it in 1988. But for the last 25 years, we've been going into schools and talking about the issue of eating disorders and body hatred. We um, train young women to go in with us, peer to peer, student to student, and it is a wonderful program. Please give generously. Thank you. Yeah, didn't go along to get along. (laughs) Yeah, yes, indeed. And that's been hard in the culture that I live in today still. It really is for a lot of us. And especially those of us who are going against the tide of thinness at all costs. You know, if we are people in the helping profession who believe in health at every size and that people can be whatever size that they are and still be healthy and be okay. I mean, that goes against a huge tide in this culture for sure. Sure. But you know what? Every time I hear someone say that they don't believe in health at every size, I think they must not understand what it is because it just basically to me means that people at every size deserve health care and deserve a chair that they can fit in. And the only people who don't agree with that are the people who say things like, if the fat people can fit in a chair, then they won't know they're fat. Yeah, I know. Something like that. Other than that, everyone else totally agrees with health at every principle. So I just name it however they want. I wish it was called health care at every size. I like that very much. I guess what, when I get challenged by a young person in ninth grade about that, when I say that, I say, what if everybody was okay that the way they were, we didn't worry about what size they were. We just worried, do they have health care? Do they have a house? Do they have money? Do they have, you know, a job? Are they healthy within themselves, body, mind, and spirit? That's what's important to me. 
Well, but does everyone have to be healthy? I mean, there are people who have chronic illness who are never going to meet our definition of healthy. And it's so independent. And so it's just, it's important that some of the judgments, I think, get left by the wayside. But there's a lot of judginess, isn't there? There is. And I'm thinking about what you just said. I mean, I have a friend who is suffering from MS. I shouldn't say she has MS. She's not suffering from it. It is a hard issue for her. And it's very complicated and it's painful. But, you know, she is one of the healthiest people I know in her heart. She is just a wonderful person. I don't even think of her as unhealthy because I have a different opinion about health when it comes to that. But I've had to learn how to be like that for myself and for others. So you wrote this article and I just want you to talk about what you were saying in that article a little bit. Oh, sure. So the article was in response to the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines for weight management for children and I get very concerned anytime someone is looking at a child with regards to their size and weight, because size and weight are, to me, two things. One is they're genetically determined in a lot of ways. And part two is they are outcomes. They are outcomes of a child's life, what they're being fed. And to me, Focusing on the outcome is never a good determination of what, if anything, needs to be changed. In other words, I would rather hear from a parent about how they're feeling about their child's eating because how a parent feels about their child's eating has a huge impact on that child's eating. It has a huge impact on what the child's eating, how much the child's eating, when the child's eating, and why are we trying to make problems for kids that don't have problems? Because There's a huge misunderstanding of percentiles even. 5% of kids are supposed to be above the 95th percentile, and that's normal for them. Just 5% of kids are below the 5th percentile, and that's normal for them. So why are we comparing kids to other kids instead of comparing kids to themselves and their own growth? And I want to go back to the old-fashioned degrowth charts. It would be nice if we had them where they expanded to include maybe more diversity, but Comparing kids to other kids is not the solution at all. And so that's what BMIs do is just compare kids to other kids and pick an arbitrary line at which to say these kids are too big. And so shrinking kids is just a terrible idea. So I have a problem with the guidelines in the first place just existing. But if there were guidelines that said, leave big kids alone, and if you are worried about them, send them to a dietitian to see if there is a problem or not, rather than saying if they're big, there is a problem because bigness is a problem, then it might be okay. But that's not what the guidelines said at all. And I read the guidelines with some real frustrations about some of the assumptions that were made in there. They seemed very persecutory in my mind of bigger kids. And it's just so unfortunate. I mean, I'm thinking of my nephew who used to be called the Michelin man when he was a baby because of his big rolls and his parents had to use a Q-tip to clean in between the rolls, right? So someone would say that was a really fat baby. Well, you know what? Brains are made out of water and fat. So fatter baby, big brain, as far as I'm concerned, that child is now 6'4 and has a PhD in something that I don't even know how to pronounce. So (laughs) 
I shudder to think that some doctor would have looked at the Michelin man at one or two years old and said, this kid needs milk or something. That would have been so damaging to that child's development. So that's what I worry about is that we're creating problems and then saying, see, I told you that this kid was going to have problems, but it's problems that were created by trying to shrink that kid. So that's why I wrote the article was very specific rebuttals of some of the not necessarily scientific research, but things that I saw that seemed very harmful to children. And one of the things that I saw that really got my goat is that there was a reference, a statement that said that a good weight management program is just like an eating disorder treatment program. And so I went to the reference to see what are they talking about? And I was ashamed to see that the reference actually came from a dietitian journal. And that article that said that eating disorder treatment was good weight management treatment had two major problems with it. One was the person who wrote the article was the head dietitian for a weight loss program. I was just going to (laughs) say. International weight loss program that I won't mention. And the second thing that was wrong is that the eating disorder treatment that they compared it to that they said was a good weight loss program was CBTE, which is the adapted cognitive behavioral therapy enhanced for eating disorders, which is a terrible many therapy sessions someone needs based on what their BMI is. I know. And so so I was so embarrassed that was published in a dietitian journal and no one looked at that with a critical eye and said, oh, here's the eating disorder treatment that doesn't even include dietitians in it. We're going to hold that up as the gold standard of eating disorder treatment. And then compare weight loss treatment to this gold standard of, I mean, the whole thing was just so gross. And so I couldn't just sit by and not at least share my thoughts on that for anyone who would listen. Yeah. Thank goodness there are people out there like you who read this, research it, look at it closely, and then write an article about it. Because I sort of know all of this anyway. I know that there have been weight loss programs involved in new insurance guidelines for weight and height and age and, you know, follow the money kind of a thing. But I don't know that everybody knows that. And that's what is so great about somebody coming out with these are the facts. This is not true. And I think about my students that we go into schools and talk about disordered eating and body hatred. And a lot of times we mainly go into ninth grade. A lot of times those kids are afraid to eat because I live in a very affluent area. And I'm not saying this is terrible or wrong, but these kids are afraid that's not locally sourced, that that's not sustainable, that that has wheat in it or sugar in it or something in there that's not a chemical. They'll even say, I can't eat anything with chemicals in it. And it's like, well, yeah, we don't want to have a bunch of chemicals. But if you were on a desert island and you only had ding-dongs, would you eat them or would you starve to death? You know, so I just feel like it has gotten completely over the top. And it's these kids that are worried about it. It's not even about weight. It's about oh, I can't eat that. Everything I see says I shouldn't be eating that. And so they go without lunch. That's bad. I know. 
because they won't eat what's in the cafeteria because it might not be okay. I used to teach a workshop called Making Food Your Friend Again, just for that exact purpose. I just gave it that name because I felt like so many people treat food as the enemy. Oh, for sure. It's like the new, it's evil. You know, somebody will say, well, I can never eat sugar. And of course, everything that you eat turns into sugar, right? (laughs) It's like, no, it doesn't. So I don't know. This is a huge conversation. And I'm so happy to have the start of this with you. And is there anything that you would like to say what you're doing or how people could get a hold of you? Or are you having a workshop? And how could people get into that? So I don't host workshops anymore, but I do trainings anywhere I'm invited. I do workshops. You provide the group, I will show up. And I do have a workbook based on my workshop, Making Food Your Friend Again. It is called Food Fairy Tales. Change the stories you tell about food and eat happily ever after. And I love to do that workshop live. I think I'll be doing it again in October. I've just been invited to present it again. So if that appeals for professional development or personal development, let me know. My website is jessicasetnick.com. And I would welcome anyone who is interested in what I do. There's a whole page of free resources with podcasts I've done and lectures I've given and handouts and things. And Eating Disorders Boot Camp is my training for professionals. If there's a professional listening that wants to get more interested or is interested in in helping people with eating disorders. And what I've realized recently is that, yes, it's great for eating disorder dietitians, but there are so many people who are generalists or who work at WIC or who work in rural areas that are doing everything or in sport, nutrition, and that's who's taking eating disorders boot camp. Because if you work with humans, you're working with people with eating disorders. It's just unavoidable. And I wish that was an umbrella of the way we were trained as dietitians and doctors and nurses to look at eating behaviors as basically functional or dysfunctional rather than good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. But are they productive to what your goals are in your life or not? Beautiful. So would you read that today, I will? Today, I'll find some time to ask myself these questions. What higher purpose might I have? What can I bring into my life that would bring me joy, inspire me, and feed my soul? I'll listen to my inner voice and honor whatever thoughts, feelings, and ideas that come to me. I love you doing that, and I love your work. So grateful that you're out in the world doing this. You know, I know that we know each other from a very long time ago. (laughs) And we're still cooking. We're still out there fighting the good fight. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad free, You can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much.